All right. I'm going to start again with just a little bit more prayer. We have a number of people who are out there taking care of taking care of folks that are grieving, taking care of folks who are really sick. Um, we've got some folks that have they're just they're just out of town to see friends. Um, we got a lot going on this weekend, and um, yeah, we're one family though. Amen. We're still one family. Father God, I pray for every person that's not here, Lord. I pray, Father, they would know and feel the love that they have with us and that especially they have with you. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen and encourage them. Pray for those who are here who are grieving the loss of family. And then we pray for those who are, who are not here grieving. God, I pray for those who are taking care of loved ones who are sick. And we pray for those who are not here with us because they are sick. Lord, I pray for those who are traveling, that you'd give them mercy, that they'd be safe. God, I pray, Lord, that, that um, you would gather us all back together soon in the name of Jesus. Thank you for the recent times we've had, Lord. Thank you for the, the shepherding groups, the, the full homes, the communal time, the meals we've shared, the tons of service we've done. Lord, I thank you for how many people were loved and prayed over and heard about the love of Jesus this weekend. God, thank you, Lord, for the grocery ministry and all the people that we got to love in the name of Jesus and the new people that came that we never met before who served with us that we got to know and talk to. God, thank you, Lord, for all the parents that came out for the pasta dinner Friday night. Lord, I thank you, God, for the opportunity that we had to sit with and have conversations with folks, some who have never been to church, others we haven't seen in a really long time. Thank you, Lord, for all the, the behind-the-scenes hustle and hard work that so many people did to set up and cook and clean up, to create a space for so many people to hear about you and to see your love in action. Thank you, God, for the way that our community was able to come around our sister Jackie as she mourned her father yesterday. I pray, Father God, for that whole family. That, that, like, and it was just blew me away when I saw who they all are and just remembered. And it was just so clear to me, like, wow, almost all those folks have been to church. Lord, help us to be like that. Help us to be bringing our family to church. Help us to not give up. Help us not give up on our neighbors. Help us not give up on our family. Help us to not give up on our friends. God, remove from us a, de a despairing and judgmental heart when we look around to the left and the right and feel like no one loves you but us and we ain't loving you well. God, help us to just be overflowing. Send revival, Jesus. We need it. We are in a bad way, and we need you, Jesus. Amen. 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 We've been in a series called Kingdom in the Chaos, right? There's a kingdom. There's an order. There's a rule in this whole realm that feels like there's no one in charge, right? It feels like stuff just happens. 
but there's a kingdom. And we're finally at the walls of Jericho, right? And I don't know about you, but it's felt like a while to get to here, even though it's just six chapters in. But we're finally, we're at the walls of Jericho, so I want to get right into it in Joshua chapter 6. It says, now Jericho was strongly, was a strongly fortified because of the Israelites. No one leaving or entering. The Lord said to Joshua, look, I have handed Jericho, its king, and its best soldiers over to you. March around the city with all the men of war, circling the city one time. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry seven ram's horns, trumpets, in front of the ark. But on the seventh day, march around the city seven times. When the priests blow the ram's horns, when there is a prolonged blast of the horn, you'll hear its sound. Have all the troops give a mighty shout. Then the city wall will collapse. And the troops will advance, each man straight ahead. So Joshua, son of Nun, summoned the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and have seven priests carry seven ram's horns in front of the Ark of the Lord. He said to the troops, Move forward, march around the city, and have the armed men go ahead of the Ark of the Lord. After Joshua had spoken to the troops, seven priests carrying seven ram's horns, before the Lord moved forward and blew the ram's horn. The ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. While the ram's horns were blowing, the armed men went in front of the priests who blew the ram's horn. The rear guard went behind the ark. But one word came out of the mouth until the time, I'm sorry, but one word came out of your mouth until the time I say shout. Then you are to shout. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the city, circling it once. They returned to the camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning. The priests of the ark of the Lord took the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests carrying the seven ram horns marched in front of the ark of the Lord. While the ram's horns were blowing, the armed men went out in front of them. And the rear guard went behind the ark of the Lord. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. And they did this for six days. And early on the seventh day, they started at dawn and marched around the city seven times in the same way. That was the only day they marched around the city seven times. After the seventh time, the priests blew the ram's horn, and Joshua said to the troops, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. But the city and everything in it are set apart for the Lord's destruction. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and everyone in her house will live, because she hid the messengers we sent. But keep yourselves from things set apart or you will be set apart for destruction. If you take any of those things, you will set apart the camp of Israel for destruction and make trouble for it. For all the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron 
are dedicated to the Lord and must go into the Lord's treasury. So the troops shouted, and the ram horns sounded. And while they heard the blast of the ram horns, the troops gave a great shout, and the walls collapsed. The troops advanced into the city, each man straight ahead, and they captured the city. They completely destroyed everything in the city with the sword, every man and woman, both young and old, every ox, sheep, and donkey. Joshua said to the two men who had scattered the land, go to the prostitute's house and bring the woman out there, out of there, and all who are with her, just as you swore to her. So the young men who had scouted went into went in and brought out Rahab and her father, mother, and brothers, and all who belonged to her. They brought the whole family and settled them outside the camp of Israel. They burned the city and everything in it. They put silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. However, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute, her fam father's family, and all who belonged to her because she hid the messengers Joshua had sent to spy on Jericho, and she still lives in Israel today. At the time Joshua imposed this curse, the man who undertakes the rebuilding of the city, Jericho, is cursed before the Lord. He will lay its foundation at the cost of his free firstborn. He will finish its gates at the cost of his youngest. And the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. This is the word of the Lord. If anybody ever promised that the Christian life would be all sunshine and rainbows, they lied to you. <laughs> they just straight lied to your face. Everything in this book is inspired by God, and we learn from the New Testament that all of these things that happened to the people in the Old Testament we're reading now, they were all done for our instruction, for our edification, for as an example to us, right? They're a pattern. They, th their lives set a pattern for our experiences today. And we remember that God's people were stuck in Egypt. They were stuck in Egypt, which is a pattern that every single one of us starts in. We start in the slavery of sin. Every single one of you, even those who grew up in the church, right? We are slaves to sin, and we need to be freed from those sins. And then they leave that house of bondage, right? And they get, and, now, and then they got to face the Red Sea. And then they got to face the wilderness with no food and no water. And then they got to face the Jordan, at flood season <laughs> and then they also the whole entire time they're facing all these things they're also facing enemies from outside people trying to ambush them but not even the, the full story they're also facing their own people complaining wishing they could go back to Egypt wishing they could go back to sin <laughs> and they do all these things and for anybody that's been a Christian, you're like, yeah, 
That's kind of how it is, isn't it? Get freed from one thing to face a new problem. Right? The old preacher would say, you are always in a trial, coming out of a trial, or getting ready to be in the next trial. Right? That is our Christian life. And God wants to build some resiliency in us. But I want you to know this, that through all the things that they have already experienced, through the Red Sea, the wilderness, the Jordan, the battles, all that stuff, now they've crossed and they're in the promised land. And what do they face? They face a wall. Somebody say wall. You are going to face a wall. You're going to face a wall in your life. I've faced them. You, you face walls. Now imagine this, just, just moments before, in the, the chapter we preached on last week, Joshua leaves the little acacia grove where the camp is, and he meets with the commander of the Lord's army, and his soul is deeply encouraged, right? Because it's not just him who's fighting, but God himself is going to fight for him. And then immediately it's like, there's a problem. This is our life as Christians. We go away somewhere. We feel filled, filled by God. We have courage. Somebody speaks a word over us. We feel like we can conquer anything. We can walk on water. And then we go to the office, and boom, we get the worst news of our life. This is what happens. We hit walls. We hit walls. There's this book that, that I, 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 I definitely recommend to you. I think we got the, a little graphic that, that, that helps us chart this journey that we go on. We got a slide for that. And it's from this book called The Critical Journey. And I don't know if you can see it, um, but it describes this life of being a Christian. It's written by two authors. It's a classic. We, we, we read this in seminary, right? And, it, and one is a, a counselor and one is a pastor. And they look at the lives of the saints, you know, from history. They look at people in the Bible, but they also look at just people's experiences. They interview tons of people, Christians. And they're like kind of just like mapping out how it is, like how it looks to grow from one place to another. And this is really helpful, right? This is really helpful for us to kind of know where we are in our growth, right? And then what do you have? You have the first one, you have stage one. And this is the stage, what does it say? It says recognition of God. This stage is like you become aware that God exists. A whole lot of people on campuses where they're experiencing revival are getting a heavy dose of stage one. They're like, wow, God is real. I didn't know that. His, I love him. They, they, they're hungry. They're starving for him. And the beautiful part of this stage is that there's this like desire for God and a recognition for It's like somebody flipped the light switch on. And the danger of this stage is that you would listen to anybody because you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> right? You don't know what you don't know. And I can't tell you how many people I, I, I've, like, I've literally had, you know, 
you know, I'm just picturing in my mind, like, folks who come here, and then we go and we get, uh, you know, lunch at the diner, and they're sitting there with their Bible, and I look at their Bible, and their Bible is a translation that is made by a cult. Someone gave it to them. They're hungry. They don't know. They don't know. They don't know the difference. They don't know what's true, what's not true. There's just this, like, hunger for God. Right? This, this, this is like King David and, and Goliath, right? When, when David is young and, and he's like, why is nobody going to stand up to this bully? Why, why is anybody going to let this guy curse our God and our people? And he's just like, let's do something about this guy. And there's that fire. There's that fire. But there's not necessarily discernment. <laughs> And then you see the, the, there's growth, right? And, and there's this sense in, in the second stage where you get into this life of discipleship. And you start to hear a whole bunch of stuff you didn't know. And we've got a lot of people that come through in this church. And, I mean, literally you hear these conversations and you're the light bulb's coming on. Now I'm starting to see what God's will is for me. And I need a pattern of life. And it's like, oh, I can't just... Like, sleep with someone because I love them. I thought that's what everybody did. No, like, God has his pattern. There's, there's a pattern that we have to follow or we mess up our life. There's a whole bunch of things that, that we got to learn. We got to learn how to pray. We got to learn how to show up and serve and be at church. And you know what I mean? And so that, that's this, there's this desire to be led but the downside of this stage is that, is that you can get people who become really legalistic, right? Because it's like, I have the answer. <laughs> Someone showed me the SOAP Bible method, Pastor Joe, and that's the only way to study the Bible. No. <laughs> it's, it's to help you. It's a tool, <laughs> right? But we, we pick up these patterns and these ways of doing church, and we think, this is helpful, therefore, this is the way. You know what I mean? And, and I, and I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, that, that Jesus is the way, not all the little ways we try to follow him. <laughs> Amen? There's lots of other brothers and sisters in other churches that do it a little differently, and we're all trying our best to be faithful to him. All right? But then you get into this, this third stage, right? This is where you get to the productive life. And so the second stage, you're just like pruning things out of your life. You're, you're starting to pick up some habits. You're, you're getting into this pattern. But the third stage is now you started, you did your spiritual gift survey, right? Somebody told you you were good at X, Y, and Z, and now you're just doing it, right? You're serving. You're, you're going and you're, you love kids. You didn't even realize you had a passion for kids. Now you're serving kids. Now you're out there feeding people, working the grocery stuff every month. Now you're out there doing all kinds of stuff for Jesus. And there's this season of production. But here's the problem with this season, because every season has a different temptation. One of these describes where you're at. You are getting comfortable with who you are and what your gifts are, but now there is this deep gnawing dissatisfaction 
with the fact that other people around you just don't seem to care about God. And this can lead to burnout and legalism and judgmentalism. And then you get into this journey inward, right? And this is a very difficult stage because a lot of times, you know what I mean, we, 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 we try to find people to guide us through all these stages. Like, hey, I just found out that God is real. You'll find a whole lot of people that will help you with that. Some of them don't know what they're doing. <laughs> you got to be careful, right? You know what I mean? But then you'll get like, hey, I'm trying to be a disciple. I'm actually trying to change my life, not just cry tears and sing happy songs. Like, I want to really live for Jesus. And you're going to need people to guide you through that. And then you're going to need people to guide you through what am I good at? What am I not good at? And being at peace that we are not all great at everything. Amen? We, the, the, we're, we're made up of, you know, many parts. There's some people who are great at, like, talking to their neighbors and bringing folks in. Other folks are great at, like, serving from behind the scenes. Other folks are great at leading in worship. Other folks are great at spreadsheets and organization and making sure things are done well and on schedule, right? We got to figure out what our place is in the body. But here we move beyond this, and we, this is our issue We are doubting everything that we have been taught up to this point. And we're looking inward. And while all those other stages, somebody was there happy to lead us through. When we look inward a lot of times, people don't know how to help you. (laughs) And a lot of times, you have to do this alone. When Paul got saved... You know, a lot of times we think about the, like, nine years he spent in Antioch where he was poured into. Yeah, Paul preached immediately, but Paul preached under authority. Nobody laid hands on murdering zealot Paul to go represent the faith. I need you to know that. They made him sit down for nine years. He had to be discipled. He had to be formed. He had to be trained. He wasn't trusted. But here's what happened as well. Right, he had all that mentoring, but he also mentions this other crazy, mind-blowing thing is that he went off to Arabia for three years. Like we we just like skip through all that. We're like Paul gets saved, and then in the next breath, he's on a boat preaching the gospel everywhere. No, <laughs> there was a process, and he had God had to do some work in Paul's life in his soul alone. And he had to do some work in his life in community. And it's no different for us. And, you know, a lot of times what happens is we'll face this wall, right? That's where we're at today. We'll face a wall, and we won't know how to get over it. We won't know how to get through it. But then on the other side of this wall... Here's the thing. There are these pushes outwards, this journey outwards in stage five, this life of love in stage six, right? There is hope beyond, like, the initial excitement of being a Christian. I need you to know that. (laughs) There There is more to the faith. 
than just constantly being in a cycle of doubting yourself and struggling. And you know what happens is that a lot of stage five looks like stage three, like you're operating in your gifts. But when you are in stage five, you could care less about personality tests and gift series. You know who you are. You know who you are, and you're okay with it, and you're not constantly trying to discover yourself anymore. In fact, the entire cycle of growth here, right, is from a spot where you are the center of the solar system, and you need to hear every single day that God loves you. He really, really loves you. But as you grow in the faith, you become a real friend of God. Yeah, you, you delight in the fact that he loves you. But you also love him. And it's not a friendship that's one way. Where you stay spiritually and emotionally like an infant who constantly needs just to be fed milk. You grow up. That's the goal. <laughs> that's the goal. Doesn't happen all the time, does it? And in fact, sometimes the way we do church, it's like we try to, we try to engineer it to keep it at that ground level <laughs> where there is no growth, where there is no outward focus, where there's no honest acceptance of the fact that you will hit walls that you might not know how to get through. And sometimes you got to get them through with them with other people helping you, but there are going to be walls that you can only face by yourself. There are things that God has to do in your soul that only you can do with him. No one's going to do it for you. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying this because after a while, this might be a word for somebody in the building. Maybe they're watching or listening to this sermon. It's okay to say, help me. I'm hungry. Remind me. But sometimes it's not okay. It's been years. No one's reminding you to go to church. You don't need a ride. You can make it yourself. You can pursue this relationship for yourself. You don't need to hang on the coattails of somebody else. God wants you to be in relationship with him. And if you are truly saved, you are going to want to be in a relationship with him without anybody like twisting the screw and constantly pushing you. And so all I'm describing here in a super short time, right, is this picture that it, there's so much insight here. I would encourage those who want to understand themselves or understand how to lead other people through stuff to read this book. It's called The Critical Journey. It's extremely helpful. But getting back to the story, last week we saw the heavenly command, commander of the Lord's army, Amen. And immediately now we see a wall. And I don't know if you heard this before, but it's true. Partial obedience is still disobedience. So what's, what's happening in this story? Did you notice? What's happening in this story? The Lord tells Joshua what to do to defeat Jericho. There's this problem of this wall, and the Lord tells Joshua to march around six days on the seventh day, right, after you blow, on the seventh day, march around seven times, then 
blow the chauffeur. You guys remember Edgar Hernandez? He always had this ram horn, right? And like we would just be doing like grocery ministry or whatever, and he would blow that thing. It's really loud and annoying, <laughs> right? But uh, they, they would have seven priests with the horns, and they'd blow it. It'd be really loud, and then they would all shout, and then the walls would come down. But what's happening here? Joshua hears what the Lord tells him to do, and then the next few paragraphs, he does exactly what the Lord tells him to do. He didn't ask questions. He didn't add some stuff. He didn't go to the left or to the right. It wasn't partial obedience. It was full-on trust and humility. He did what the Lord told him to do. And he saw the victory that the Lord promised to him. It doesn't matter. You know, I shared this with you when I got back from sabbatical in 2020. This is something the Lord taught me when I, when I had a couple months to pray and rest after a whole bunch of years of ministry. The Lord showed me it doesn't matter if people like, like what I say. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if people like stuff I'm posting online. It doesn't matter if people even, in, in a sense, it doesn't matter if people are here in the room or not watching at all. Because these things aren't going to change you. What's going to change you and save your life is not liking me, but it's listening to Jesus Christ. Do you hear what I'm saying? What's going to matter, it's not going to matter if you come and you're excited and we're like all having a lot of fun together, but you're not listening to God and you're not doing anything that he says. This is what matters and it's all that matters. And I, and, I, and I need you to hear this, because when you say partial obedience is still disobedience, you're like, Pastor, that sounds like legalism. And I, I want you to tell you, no, it's not legalism, it's reality. It's not legalism, it's reality. And here's why. Here's the key. The key is not perfection. The key for God is humility. Joshua did exactly what the Lord told him to do because he knew that it was the only way to have victory. He had the humility to just drop it. And you aren't going to change anything in your life without humility. God is not waiting for you to be perfect, but God can only do what you allow him to do in humility. You have to surrender. You have to let God do it. You have to just give it up. When you're holding on to the thing and saying, I'm going to do it my way, you will not experience any blessing or victory. That's not legalism. That's reality. I remember when we were living in Africa, and in the beginning we had to do this training and the training was rough because I remember, like, just living out in the country, and we had kids, you know, we had three of our kids, and, you know, kids have things like autism and ADD and all that stuff. And you have to, like, march your kids through. There was, like, a poisonous tree. You couldn't touch the bark. And if it, like, hit their eye, they'd go blind. <laughs> There's, like, all these dangers to the left and to the right. 
It's not like here, which is like a Nerf world of safety. You can just stay inside your house and put on, like, endless videos or give them your phone. <laughs> like, you're outside, and there's things that happen, and people have to listen. You have to listen. It's not legalism. It's just reality. And I remember some of the, the training that we did because you're at a high-risk spots where sometimes, like, just to give you a picture— our mission team in Rwanda, somebody in our team had morphine in case something happened and somebody like arm got cut off and there wasn't any in the hospital. We had a, um, a, a, a chartered plane in case the, the war would break out and we needed to get out real quick. And we were trained, right? We were trained that if, if, if the police stop you because there's a lot of corruption, if the police stop you and they're, they're looking to take you into jail and extort you and blackmail you and all this stuff, or, 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 or bandits or people that are just trying to steal from you, your kids, you've got to control them in that situation. This ain't legalism. You can say, well, my kid has ADHD. My kid is, no, they need to be quiet right now. And if you're not able to do this, this is not the place for you. Do you hear what I'm saying? That in real life, we have to obey. We have to trust. We have to have the humility to do the thing that needs to happen or we will not experience any freedom or life. I mean, how many folks do you know that are dabbling around, they're struggling with addiction? You don't get to have a, a, a sort of loose, I don't want to be legalistic attitude when it comes to addiction, do you? It's, it's abstain or sink to the depths. There's no in-between. There's no dipping and dabbing and I can manage this. Joshua had to listen to the Lord. And we will see that he will not listen to the Lord. <laughs> in other accounts, and we will see that he was not perfect, but every time he didn't listen to the Lord, what happened? Defeat. <laughs> consequences. A lot of us know about a lot of consequences because we don't listen. And I'm just saying this out of love, not to beat us all up, but to say, guys, God's word is truth. His law is binding. His voice is powerful. His wisdom is undefeated. He never gets it wrong. There's never like a, well, I'll do it a different way and see how it works out. We have to follow the Lord. We have to follow our Lord. You know, we never break God's law. You ever think about this? We don't break God's law. We demonstrate God's law. It's like, it's like when you go to the Grand Canyon and you're at the cliff edge of it and there's a sign that says danger. Watch out. If you or you let your kids just rough around, whatever, when they fall or you fall down off that cliff, you didn't break the law. You demonstrated the law of gravity. God has designed this world a certain way, and you got to listen to him. you got to listen to him, or there's deep consequences. 
But here in this story, Joshua and his servants, they keep and observe the word of the Lord. And they also keep and observe their own word to Rahab. You see that? Joshua listens to the word of the Lord. He does what he, the Lord tells him. But he also, he, he, he does what he promised to do for Rahab. A promise made is a promise kept for Joshua. Now, listen, this was not easy. In the heat of the battle, in the chaos of bloodshed, in the chaos and awe, and the spectacle of those walls falling down in a supernatural way, Joshua still had the presence of mind to keep his word and to make sure that that family was spared the judgment that was coming on that city. You know, if, if, uh, if I had a penny for every time someone told me that, you know, this is my church, I'm going to be here every week, <laughs> like, I want to build this thing, amen, right? We would not need to ever do a fundraiser ever again. <laughs> Just a penny for every time that happened. We'd have millions of dollars. <laughs> Joshua makes a promise, and he follows through. He made a promise, and he followed through. He said, I'm going to serve here. And then it got, even when it's hard, he serves here. He doesn't backtrack. Next week, we're going to come back to this passage again. And really address this heavy issue of the violence, of the death, right? Of the killing of animals. And not just soldiers, but men and women, young and old. We're going we're gonna to talk about that. It's important. But for right now, I'm going to ask us, how can we trust God when we can't even make sense of what he's asking? Do you think Joshua... Like, just was like, that sounds like an amazing plan when the Lord told him what to do. Do you think that's what Joshua was thinking? Like, yeah, let's, uh, let's get some ram horns and hand them to the priests and we'll walk around the city. And then we'll do it again the next day. And then we'll do it again the third day. And then we'll do it again the fourth day. And it's like, man, it's day six. And if something don't happen... I'm no longer Joshua, the leader of these people. That's, you know, because if something didn't happen, there's no book of Joshua. <laughs> jo Joshua will be replaced. <laughs> and every single day he had to trust God. And I know that you are in a spot where every single day you have to trust him, and it ain't the seventh day yet, and you got to trust him for something that hasn't happened yet, but he's calling you to do it anyway. And he's not calling you to understand his plan. He's not calling you to have it all figured out. He's not calling you to even see it happen. And sometimes these things don't even happen on this side of heaven, but he's calling you to be faithful. You hear what I'm saying? He's calling you to be faithful and to listen to him. I want to close with this. There are always things that you won't understand and that God wants you to step out on faith in. Amen? Now, 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 now in terms of, like, promise keeping, I do want to just share this real quick. I used to 
have a, a strong like need to promise a lot of things. And then, you know, maybe we can catch some of those things, right? And God has been teaching me that that's not the way to be, right? That's not the way to be. And so some of you, maybe if an opportunity comes up, you can wisely make the grid and, like, put that on your schedule and do that later. But what I have learned, what has worked for me, what I need to do, and what I try to encourage people around me to do, that, like, we, when we serve together, if there's a phone call or an email or a decision to be made, do it instantly. <laughs> and then if you can't do these things right away, don't promise to do a whole bunch of things that you later can't do. Do you hear what I'm saying? I, I, I'm, I'm, that's me. I have to limit what I am promising I'm able to do for folks. And I'm learning more and more that I have to do that more and more and more. Can you come and meet me? Can you come do this? And there are times where I have regretted saying yes when I had no way to do it. Sister, brother, let me call you right now. Let me pray right now on the spot. Let me encourage you right now. There's going to be another battle tomorrow. It might not be with you. God has given me a full plate, and I know he's given you a full plate too. So stop making promises where you get like bulldozed over and you can't do all those things, right? Send the text. Send the email. Make the call. Or don't make the promise. <laughs> that's just, that's not the Lord. That's just, <laughs> that works for me, okay? And I do think there's wisdom in don't overpromise in general. You know? Keep your word. Be, be okay with where you're at. You're not, you're not at the spot to be serving on the team every week. In like, be real with that. Right? You ain't loved any less. <laughs> Ask for prayer. Figure out why. Don't live in denial. Figure out why you are where you're at. And let God move you. <laughs> so God wants us to step out of faith. And I, I want to ask you, will you step out in faith? Will you be generous so we can renovate this building? I know you don't have a lot. I don't have a lot. But could you be generous with what you do have? Maybe there's a way that you need to live now. There's a new way you need to talk to your family or the people that you live with. You have a dysfunctional, dark, destructive way of communication. It's on you, and you need to figure it out. You need to walk out of that way of communicating. Maybe it's stepping out in faith and praying for, like, college kids, and you're like, I nor most of the people I know didn't go to college. Why would I pray for them? Well, because that's what God is doing right now, and it ain't about you. It's not always about you. It's definitely not always about me, Right? Just get behind what God is doing and pray. And in doing that, I promise you, we will also be blessed in the process. God will not overlook us. 
He will not pass us by and drop blessings on others and miss us if we are obeying him and we're stepping out in faith. I pray that you would step out in faith in all the unanswered and longed for things in your soul and all the ways you're waiting for God and haven't seen him show up. Would you step out in faith? Would you walk day after day around that city until the walls come down and until the Lord himself tells you to blow the horn and to shout that your victory has come? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it. Help us, Lord. Help us all who are in a different spots. And sometimes we cycle through and we, 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 we were in a spot of discovery and we, were, we went through a time of discipleship and then we hit a wall and now we're back at stage one. And we're just aware that you're good and that you're real. And help us to be honest with where we're at and not frustrated and help us to own it and to just pursue you. To just walk in faith and to take, like Rahab the prostitute that we preached weeks ago, to just take the next step of faith that you're calling us right now. Help us, Lord Jesus. Amen.